0: After two hours' drive from Cupertino to San Francisco, I'm meeting John Gillon, CEO of Roost, on a Wednesday evening at his apartment in Russian Hill District. I park at Filbert Street, one of those super steep streets where it seems crazy for cars not to roll over. We've talked for one hour about the story of Roost and insights on how the innocent idea that two brothers came up with within two years grew to $1.3 million angel funded startup and $120,000 yearly income. Hello John. It's so good to see you today. Your startup Roost is solving a problem that is so common all over the world. Even I have experienced it a while ago in USA. Tell us please, what is Roost?
1: The Roost is a peer to peer marketplace for storage space. Uh, basically, we let anybody who has any unused spaces in their garage, closet, attic, basement, make money on it, renting it out to people who want to use it instead of a storage facility. So for people looking for space, they could find it in their neighborhood, save money, and then we let people you know, monetize underutilized space in their homes. And uh, so it's a win-win for everybody.
0: So do you call it kind of like an Airbnb for a space? Yeah, it's, it's,
1: it's Airbnb for non-lovable space in your home. We actually do parking as well, so it's Airbnb for storage and parking spaces.
0: Your company is based in San Francisco, right?
1: Yeah, we're in the Inner Sunset neighborhood, actually at the same office right now where Craigslist and Zappos both started. So there's good good marketplace juju there.
0: So the, is this where also the idea was born? San Francisco?
1: Yeah, the, the idea was born in San Francisco a couple years ago. Um, my brother moved from Texas to SF and needed place to store um, a, a U-Box full of stuff for only two weeks. And the storage facilities here are extremely expensive. It would have been about $300 a month for a 5x10 and they required a month minimum. And so he couldn't afford that, he was just moving out here. And I had a storage closet in my apartment that all I had was like an old grill and some junk in. And I said to him that if he buys me dinner, you know, for the for a couple weeks, uh, then I'll make room in the, the locker and he could put his stuff there. And he jumped at the idea. And, uh, you know, when he was so enthusiastic about doing it, it hit me and I realized, you know, we have this brotherly trust. But if we could build something that created trust between strangers then you know, we really had a, a good idea here, something that solved a big pain point for a lot of people.
0: That was two years ago?
1: That was Thanksgiving 2013.
0: Oh, so we just had an anniversary, right? Yeah. Were you born in San Francisco?
1: No, I was born in Washington DC and I moved out to SF about two weeks after graduating college in 2012.
0: What have you been doing before roast?
1: So Roost is actually my seventh company, I failed five companies in college, I was always starting things, I raised funding for a couple of them, uh, a bunch of them uh, you know, fizzled out after failing to raise money or find you know, developers, but not all of them were tech, I started, a, invented a beverage, I invented a new type of footwear, I, uh, the one that I raised money for was a company called Tripso, and it was a travel tech company. Um, you know, I've always been doing a bunch of things. And then when I graduated college, I started a company called Droperty Tax, helping homeowners drop property taxes with a few friends of mine. And it's still going today. It's more of a lifestyle business for the guys that are running it. But we had big dreams and uh, we we're projected to do a bunch. It's a whole long, pretty great story, actually, of, uh, of how that uh, went from doing about $250,000 every two weeks to you know, getting negative and then having to scale a lot back but um, but that's still going today and then um, and then uh, the idea for Roost came and so I jumped full into that.
0: So you've always been more like entrepreneur soul right?
1: Definitely I've never really worked for other people and I've been other than like odd jobs, summer jobs and stuff other than that I've been fired or quit from any job I had where I worked for other people, I just uh, I burn out unless it's unless I'm passionate about what I'm doing and you know for me personally in order to feel passionate about what I'm doing it's got to be something that I've come up with myself.
0: And uh, so let's talk about the beginnings of Roost. When you founded Roost how many people were there in the company to like get a picture of how it really looked like?
1: Well so when the idea came up it was my brother and I and my brother's a marine biologist and God bless him he wanted to help start the company so um, you know thankfully he he didn't he studied marine biology in college and he had never even thought about starting a business but even he got the jitters you know when thinking about the idea and what he did help is my brother's always been the the level-headed one with my family and I had exhausted the friends and family money you know from uh-huh. my other startups so what he did was bring uh, a little bit more uh, security and safety to the friends and family investment. So with him on board, we were able to raise you know, 20 grand from friends and family. And uh, then he um, also, you know, with him, we we kind of defined the product and, um, you know, came up with the, the first names and, and got the, the legal structure and, and laid the groundwork and then Basically right after we found our other co-founder Bonnie who is our CTO he then left to go to grad school and uh, he's now in Seattle growing oysters and and, uh, and doing what he was passionate about and um, but you know he helped us get from the initial idea to starting the development which is you know the big one of the biggest hurdles to to right. get over.
0: And um, so how did you find Bonnie?
1: That's actually a really interesting story, and, and a lot of the things that we found for Roost we did in unconventional ways, which I'll tell you a few of them. But um, for Bonnie, so so I can't code at all. I, I have to get my coders to set up my email address. I, I don't know what the hell a port is or an SSL or whatever that shit. You know, I don't, I don't understand it at all. Um, so, you know, we couldn't really do anything without someone who knew about coding, and um, I didn't know anyone in the area. This is um, Now Now I, I know tons of coders and tons of CTO type people that, um, you know, but uh, at that time we didn't know anybody. So I put out an ad on TaskRabbit, which at the time between leaving Droppity Tax and coming up with Roost, I was uh, a rabbit on TaskRabbit. I would help people install shelves and, you know, carry around heavy shit just because I was, you know, just hustling around for a little extra cash. And, So I was was familiar with the marketplace um, and also I've been on other marketplaces too, you know, Airbnb and whatnot. Uh, So I was was well well familiar with marketplaces. But I put out an ad on TaskRabbit saying, seeking introduction to programmer slash project manager type with an entrepreneurial spirit and free time. Obviously I didn't ask for um, the coder to be on TaskRabbit, but an introduction to, I thought, was something. And so a friend of Bonnie's, reached out to me and said she had a friend who just left, uh, she was a project manager and coder at, at Wells Fargo or Charles Schwab and left to travel and was coming back and looking to start a business and she charged me $75 to get Bonnie in a room with me with no, you know, no, you um, didn't have to pan out, she just had to show up. Um, well, first we met and I pitched her on the idea, I had her sign an NDA, which now I know is total bullshit. But... Yeah. Uh, you know, I just signed an NDA, and we pitched her on the idea. We had it was it was called uh, it was called Stowe at that time, is a different name, and um, and she loved the idea. And then uh, we met the next time we met. I had my cousin on Skype from DC, giving her some coding questions and asking her to gauge, you know, her tech talent. And you know, she checked out the most basic of things. Yes, she could, in fact, probably get this if not coded the whole way, at least get us up and running and mm-hmm. and help us with the talent and whatever we needed. And so from there, Bonnie joined up and then my brother left. And uh, and then after that, we briefly brought in another guy named Donnie who uh, was a friend of ours, a Stanford guy, smart kid, he's a UX guy. He ended up, though, leaving pretty quickly, which is good. He he uh, is, is kind of funny. He Donnie came in and um never really got along with Bonnie and then Donnie got a job offer to go work at Snapchat from Spiegel, who was his fraternity brother at Stanford. Uh-huh. And so he's now crushing it at Snapchat. But right, so Donnie left and then uh, we brought on Matt, our first coder, and Chung, our the second coder, so we they, those were the next hires. But uh, um, but yeah, Bonnie came from a task post, which is which was pretty neat.
0: And um so still like trying to get the picture of the early times. Where were you operating from at those first months?
1: First months we were going out of my living room and uh, and then as we as my brother and I working out of my living room and then and coffee shops and then when Bonnie came on, it was kind of weird to have, you know, coming over to my house and she lived in San Jose at the time. And so we started um, switching time between a library and Mountain View. She lives in Mountain View, between a library and Mountain View. And then we, our first space we ever got was uh, at Parasoma. It's a little um, co-working incubator in Soma. And we sat around um, ping pong tables, you know, for a couple hundred bucks a month.
0: Yeah, so that was like probably renting the open space, right? Yeah, totally open space, yeah. Access to an open space. And from what I learned, um from uh, co-working spaces it's a good idea to for the you know very beginning even to rent open space because you get access not only to that space but also to like the mailing list right to the events to the all of the networking that they offer do you have the same impression
1: yeah except parasoma was i didn't know i i should have known by the paris in the name but it's a french network and uh, so, like everyone spoke French there, and it's kind of weird. We didn't, we didn't, uh, uh-huh. you know, we we didn't really fit in that much there. Um, but we did then go to Rocket Space, which had a lot of good, um, got a good network and uh, good events and stuff. Yeah, and,
0: that's exactly the, I think the, um, you know, the aspect that you should be taking um, um, in consideration when choosing the the co working space. And the similar thing is when it comes to lawyers, uh, uh, I you know they also recommend investors, right? And they network for you um, when they like your idea. And also when it comes to the law stuff, uh, did you have to hire any lawyers at the very beginning or?
1: Yeah. So thankfully, my, my dad works at Pillsbury. Uh, he's a partner of one of the big law firms. And through him, we got a really good Startup deal and you can get these at at all big law firms. They'll do a sort of startup package, which is they'll defer your payments till you raise money. And they'll do something like, uh, you know, $5,000 for the first $25,000 of of legal fees and defer the payment until you raise your first round. Uh, Yes. 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 So So, so we did that. So we still use Pillsbury.
0: And um, so how about first investments? You mentioned that you gained 20 thousand dollars from friend, friends and family at the beginning, right? Yes,
1: yeah, so we did 20,000 from uh, my parents and, you know, close family and then uh, my brother and I each put in five thousand um, of our savings and then um, we had that for a little while before we found Bonnie. And then once Bonnie was on and we started coding on this and we, you know, we kind of identified what the product would actually be and we got the legal entity set up and everything. Then we uh, got our first $100,000 investment from a fraternity brother of my father's, who, which was kind of awesome. We called him for advice, and he's uh, in San Francisco, and I give this guy a call, and um, he's a funny guy. He doesn't even use a computer. He's His secretary prints out every email he gets, and he oh, writes wow. a response, and she <laughs> types it up for him. It's stone ages, and it's funny that he would invest in a tech company. But anyway... Um, I got on a call with him when I was in San Francisco, and he's based out of Miami. And we had a really great call, it seemed, and um, and we got sort of cut off on the call. It went a little longer than expected, and uh, we were gonna set another time to follow up. And I actually said, well, um, you know, it just so happened that um, it was coming up on, uh, New Year's, and I was going to Miami with family for uh, for New Year's, and I told him, "Well, I'm actually going to be out in Miami, you know." So why don't I come meet you at your office? Mm-hmm. And so we set up a time, and we met at his office. And um, in that one meeting at his office, we walked away with a handshake and a promise of a hundred thousand dollar investment. And so one phone call, one in person meeting, a black and white PowerPoint deck. And I had actually got him, negotiated him up from, he offered $25,000, and with a few pretty slick moves, it got him up to $100,000, which, oh, wow. which I was pretty pumped about. <laughs> and I remember, you know, it, it happened because my brother and I were sitting there with him, and um, and my brother went up to go to the bathroom, and, you know, we were pitching, and then he went up to the bathroom, and it seemed like we almost choreographed it. that He went to the bathroom, and and I kind of looked at him, and I said, so... What does your gut tell you? And he says, my gut tell you, is in, I'm in. And I was like, uh, well, you know, how much do you usually invest? He says, well, at this stage, we usually do 25 to 50,000. I said, okay, let's do 50. And, uh, and then we're talking at, you know, 50. And I say, well, and he, and he says, okay, well, listen, how much do you really need to raise to get this thing going? And I said, well, we need about $200,000. Pulled that number out of my ass. Uh-huh. And... And he said, well, okay, so then, you know, 200,000, maybe we do, you know, 50 or 100. I said, all right, 100, let's do it. And I slapped the table and stood up and shook his hand. I think the balls, the audacity of that, he loved. And so he uh-huh. laughed and shook my hand. He said, all right, let's do 100. <laughs> and uh, he said he'd do 50 grand in two tranches, and, uh, uh, which, was, which was pretty awesome. Uh, he said he'd invest the next 50 once we got... Another hundred grand in, and then we got another hundred grand in, and so we invested the other 50. Uh, but I remember leaving the office so vividly, getting into the elevator, and my brother and I started hugging and screaming before the elevator even closed. Uh-huh. I think, I think <laughs> his whole office heard us go, Yeah! <laughs> and then we got down into the, uh, the ground in Miami, and, and we're just screaming at the top of our lungs, calling Bonnie, Bonnie, woo! you know yelling into the phone and then that night we partied so I was awesome I mean that was a hundred thousand dollars when we had absolutely nothing the three of us not taking any salary really that meant that we we have the whole next at least year to Mm -hmm. actually figure our shit out and now we're actually running a startup that was the defining moment between there's an idea and now we're a real startup we ended up doing a uh, $300,000 angel round okay That first one and then we did a uh, well yeah then we did another round of a million dollars after 500 startups so today we've raised 1.3 million
0: good that you mentioned 500 startups because that's obviously what I wanted to ask about and um, at what point of your you know company stage did you apply for 500 startups and did you get approved the first time you applied or or you had to apply more times? So we
1: actually never applied to 500 startups. Um, another funny story. But um, I uh, we had just launched our MVP, which was a total piece of junk. Um, uh-huh. And, and uh, we had maybe our first 20 to 100 users. And most of it was taken from Craigslist. And none of them were really quality. But... Still, I had been asked through Rocket Space. There was a uh, there was a panel for some. It's called like the MEF Global Forum. I didn't even know what it stood for. I was just it was like my first speaking opportunity to be on a panel about marketplaces. And to me, they thought that we must have been doing well. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they asked me to speak on this thing. And because someone someone had dropped out and. Uh, I think it was like Duncan Logan, who's the founder of Rocket Space, who we got friendly with. He suggested, "Oh, I got a marketplace. a new marketplace it seems pretty cool. You should ask them to speak." So, spoke on this panel, and Parker Thompson was the moderator, and he's one of the partners. He's uh, one of the venture partners mm-hmm. at 500 Startups. And it was a morning panel, and um, I spoke. I guess I did a pretty good job, and uh, came for lunch time, and I walked into the uh, the lunch area area, and uh, with my food, and Parker motioned me over to him and said hey you want to sit with me and he said i really like what you're doing have you thought about applying to 500 startups and i said to be honest i have the tab open on my computer right now i was about to apply and he's like oh don't worry about that why don't you come to my office uh, to the office tomorrow and so i went the next day to the office uh, the day after that we got invited and we had been at rocket space for six months and i'd signed a six month lease it just so happened that the lease ended, ended. that day mm-hmm. and so I told Parker, he made the offer and I said, look, uh, hey Parker, well, we accept graciously, the only stipulation is we got to move into the offices today or tomorrow because we can't stay here and I don't want to sign another lease, minimum six months and it's getting expensive. So literally, we, I meet Parker, day after we uh, interview, day after we get accepted and the day after we move into 500 Startups and I was there two months before the program started. So I had two months of office space before and two months of office space at 500 Startups after. So we had the next uh, eight months of free office space, which was pretty cool.
0: So how did the journey journey with uh, 500 Startups go and what do you think that you gained the most from the program?
1: Well, I think uh our our 500 startups was a little unique because we got selected to be filmed for a TV show during the uh, during the whole program. So for 4 months and a couple months after that, so about 6 months, we were followed around by video cameras filming us throughout the whole thing. So there was that added crazy amount of pressure. And what it really taught me was how to pressure myself and and how to step it up i really learned what it meant to work my fucking ass off and Mm -hmm. that's what i learned at 500 startups it it brought me to a whole nother level of of capability in my own energy my own energy level to work late nights and and to bust my ass and and not to feel bad about it to, to feel that i was doing this with a whole other ton of other people and my team and it's all about my team and and um doing this for my team and for the glory and for, you know, the, the big picture. And so 500 Startups really drilled into me what it meant to work hard. Uh, it was good network too. Obviously money was great. Um, and, um, it also helped me with, uh, hiring, you know, we're a 500 Startups company and that's sexy to new hires. They Uh think that it's, um, you know, it's better than being a nobody. Uh, but, uh. Yeah, and I also learned. I learned how to. I've always been a good storyteller, but I got really good at pitching. And because you know Dave McClure, he, he busts your ass on pitches, and and the whole team there they make sure your know, your pitch was was um, perfect.
0: When you compare the stage of your company when you were joining 500 and when you finished 500, aside of the skills that you got, did you also take the company to a next level? Yeah, or I mean, more- so
1: so a little metric we we started 500 startups with a hundred listings on Roost uh-huh. and we finished with 800. Okay. Um, now not all of those were great. We, we were just busting our ass for anything we could get really to, to show some traction. So, you know, at the end when, when all the dust settled or left with, you know, 400, something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but still we, we were able to do what we needed to do to get our numbers up and to get, get some early traction. Um, and you know it was kind of crazy because we were we were fixing these crazy bugs that kept tying our hands behind our back, but still we found ways to you know make some some things happen and um, started making our first money there. And um, uh, yeah, so I mean that was that was pretty pretty nuts.
0: Right now, uh, how many employees do you have in? Roast? We
1: we are seven.
0: Seven. Yeah,
1: and- we're about the same the same size as we were there. We. Uh, we we filtered out. There's there's actually only one guy who uh, was there from the early days who's still around. Um, you know, oftentimes in your startup, the people who you start with won't be the people that you get to the next level with, and even the next level after that. Um, you know, we as we learned what our problems were, we adjusted the team and the skills on the team and the needs that we had changed, and so. You know, people got fired, and we hired new people, and we we filtered out, um, you know, to only eight players, and uh, now our team is is lean but capable and ready, you know, to scale, and we don't foresee needing to hire until, um, you know, for another. Four or five months till we're really scaling till we actually need to because it's just too much business to handle yeah um, but we don't have any skills gaps right now
0: what are you focusing on uh, the most right now is it um growth is it investment is it um uh product features what is happening right now at Rooster? well it's
1: always a mix of all of those right uh-huh. so i mean we're we're fighting a battle on many fronts we are um It's all about growth right now. I think primarily it's getting our numbers up because we need to raise money in January. So we're about to start a big fundraise. And in order to hit that growth and to do that fundraise, we've been working our asses off on launching an entirely new product. So the tech part. We're about to launch an app uh, and a new platform actually this weekend. Uh-huh. So, uh, entirely new platform. Every, our MVP is just getting deleted, and we've built everything from the ground up with all the lessons we've learned and all the user feedback that we've gotten. So, you know, they, they all work hand in hand. is not just one. The only thing we're not worried about right now is hiring. Yes. Um, yeah, but the other pieces, the tech, the fundraising, and the growth.
0: Did you already find a way for growth that is? working for you that you can be repeating right now or is it still looking for different things
1: Yeah, so you you mean they're talking about the product market fit. yeah um so one of the biggest things that we've done which has been pretty awesome is we made a few key partnerships um on the parking side of our market so right now storage is is seasonal and in the winter nobody moves nobody needs storage Mm -hmm. so we've been right now focusing on the parking market which uh, has no seasons. And so uh, in doing that, we have partnered with Enterprise Car Share, Zipcar and Getaround, um, all car sharing companies who want to expand their presence and their reach in residential areas. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to a commercial garage downtown and it's filled with Zipcars and car shares and this and that. You go out to the Outer Sunset or to Pack Heights or any other neighborhood that's residential, there's not a single car share because there's no commercial garages. And it's arguably a pain in the ass to get these spaces. I mean, they don't do it just of, uh, oh, here's one guy to get these spaces for us. We have a whole team and a product built around this and a whole m- machine to get these spaces. So we can do it better than anybody else. We can find someone who's got an empty garage, a driveway, a carport. And so we are now basically headhunters for these companies to find and host residential parking spaces for them um, in the whole Bay Area. And what's great is that that solves the demand side of our marketplace. So we only need to focus on supply, and they've given us the parameters of where they're looking and what they're looking for. And so as quickly as we can you know, get spaces, new spaces, they get rented out. And not only are they rented out, they're rented out for many years and we get, it's a lot of money. You know, our average transaction size is $350 a month Mm -hmm. and our average transaction length is like three and a half years. And so that's a lot of money uh, over a long time. You know, our our LTVs are over $9,000 in the parking market and they're sticky. There's no churn there, which is great.
0: How would you name the biggest challenge that you have faced? Edwards so far
1: I'd say there's two two challenges and I mean challenges might say you might say uh, a challenge is uh, a product that doesn't work or something but I'll give you a couple examples of, mm-hmm. of punches in the face that were unexpected so one Bonnie left Roost the day before demo day at 500 startups oh wow. she pieced out and so that threw us in a turmoil and I had to change the deck the night before switch up the pitch. I promoted Matt, who really built Roost, and he is now an incredible leader and CTO. Um, he, he was the first hire. I promoted him to co-founder and CTO, and that was one of the best decisions I've made. So ultimately, it's worked out for the better. But you know, we were—I I felt pretty crushed. I thought, "Oh no, you know, we're not going to be able to raise any money. We're not going to do anything, and the whole company is going to disband." But turns out, you know, everyone rallied to roost and and got behind me no one left with her you know she and um, that she tried but no one uh, no one no one jumped ship everyone doubled down and ended up uh, coming together a lot stronger um, another thing was when uh, we had gone through 500 startups and worked our asses off for this TV show and the first episode aired it was called the Bazillion Dollar Club and it's on the sci-fi channel which was probably a mistake in the first place uh, and you know, with Netflix and HBO Go and Hulu, whatever, nobody sits down and sets their timer to watch network TV and sit through commercials anymore. Everyone streams shit. And so during this, uh, it was on. Um, uh, it was in September, I believe, that the TV show aired. The first episode aired, it bombed, and it got canceled right away. So. Our episode still hasn't aired all this time we worked for. We had planned an expansion plan around it. Yeah. We thought nationwide exposure, it's gonna do so right. much for us. And so that was pretty crushing. We had raised money on that around that. We had formed partnerships. We had figured out our whole expansion plan based around the fact that millions of people all over the country were gonna see Roost and and be, you know, convinced to sign up because we did such an awesome job. And um, I thought the first episode was great, but, you know, no one was watching TV at the time, so uh-huh. it got pulled and that was pretty crushing. We had to, we had to switch up a whole lot of plans um, and go back to building a company. You know, it's kind of funny, we joke, we've got to go back to building a company <laughs> like we weren't, you know, celebrity stars. Yeah,
0: well, I can kind of imagine that you are having a lot of, uh, you know, expectations and uh, dreams around uh, being aired. Nationwide, right? Yeah, we so thought we're going
1: to be stars, and yeah. that we're going to be instantly famous, and everyone was going to use us, and investors would be lining up at the door to throw money at the new hit thing.
0: What's going to happen with those episodes right now?
1: I, I don't, I don't. You don't
0: the, even think about it. I don't it. think
1: about it. If they see the light of day, great. Um, you know, they, they say that the episode's been, it's been cut, it's been edited, it's ready to go. Yeah,
0: that's a lot of work and amazing material. Yeah,
1: millions of dollars, and um, it was a high budget. Production Uh and um, I saw a little bit of our episode. It was great, but um, uh, so apparently they're shopping around for different networks. Um, NBC owns it, and their only networks would be Esquire or CNBC, which don't really seem like great fits. And so they're trying to buy it out from them so they can show it on other networks. And I don't know. And I care. I care, but I'm not. I don't think about it. It Makes me a little depressed when I think about
0: it. I can imagine, but oh. well, who knows if no one uh, is, you know, is going to end up using it because they, they cannot agree on stuff. Well, I can take it for a Silicon Valley show. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. That'd be cool. You know, so, you know,
1: it's kind of funny. It, it might actually have been a blessing in disguise because we were planning on launching our app before the show aired so that we, people could download it. We were nowhere near ready to launch an app by the time it was it was projected to, to air. Yeah. So. Might have been terrible, so who knows? You know, now if it airs, we'll be ready and we'll have a scalable platform and a mobile app and you know a lot of better infrastructure to handle the growth. We would have just crashed immediately and had you know been up, been been screwed. It it caused us to take a look at what we were doing and look into sustainable you know organic growth or sustainable growth in ways that didn't rely on another piece of luck. Exactly. You know, how do we really build this to scale and last and not bet on a, you know, it was a gamble. It yeah. could have bombed, it could, yeah. have, it could have made us look like assholes. We don't even know.
0: Well, I can imagine that many startups really, you know, rely on not not maybe always on a TV show like in your case, but on any deal that they are kind of, you know, promised to have. Or, uh, you know, they've kind of imagined that they will have and they are pitching it to investors, although it's not there yet. And uh, I think probably this is pretty common and uh, it's it's worth to really try to, um, you know, walk hard on the ground and not not rely on things. Yeah, exactly.
1: Like a big deal in your pipeline that you think you're going to close and it's going to be a million dollars. Yeah. And then it vanishes and you put all your eggs in that basket
0: so what's the next big uh, milestone uh, a roost wants to achieve right now
1: so we are going to be launching the new app and the new platform which is going to be great because that
0: this weekend
1: yeah this weekend and what that's going to let us do is right now we're very hands-on with all our users we we hold people's hands walking through the platform and getting them to close and with this, we'll be able to just send people to our website or tell them to download the app and they'll be able to do it themselves. And when they can do it themselves, it can scale. And with that, we can then expand to new cities. Because if we don't have to baby every single user and we don't have to um, you know, keep track of every transaction that's going on and read every message and just blow it out there and have the platform and app able to sustain the business itself, you know reminders to you've got a message in your inbox able to read that message and respond to that message without logging in oh my god it's going to change everything like it's the host will be able to be responsive we'll be able to say you know this host just responds within a day because we'll know that data because we'll be collecting the data it's it's going to be a whole new world Um, so that's a major milestone we're going to launch in new cities we're already doing pretty well with growth in the last three months, we've just about tripled we're now doing about a hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year um, so so uh, we're, we're doing about ten ten grand a month and we're growing at 25, 30 percent a month and So then the next big milestone after that is we're gonna raise two million dollars seed round and with that expand to the next several markets and um, You know now our platform is scalable and and we don't need to Go back to the drawing board, and we can, uh, you know, then then storage b- picks back up in uh, in late Q one, and um, and focus on uh, other markets and new partnerships and you know whole new horizon.
0: So next year is going to be even more busy, probably right. And, uh, yeah,
1: well, so it's going to be we'll be working smarter, not necessarily harder. We're already working our asses off, but we with with the same amount of work we'll be able to service and grow ten times, hundred times the volume of business, a thousand times the volume of business with you know, almost the same team. You know, we, we won't need to hire that many people because of this really awesome intuitive product that we've built.
0: We've talked about some advice that we, uh, we could give to, to others um, early stage startups, uh, but is there anything else that you could especially think of as of an advice that you would give? To others?
1: Yeah, I've actually got a, uh, a few, you know, core pieces of advice that I talk about a lot. Um, one is don't work on a project unless it keeps you up at night. Uh, you know, if you come up with an idea, if you think you're an idea person, you may have a little book of ideas. But if, if there's one that you'll know the one that you want to work on, it's that one that You know, gets your adrenaline up when you think about it. You can't go to sleep. You can't. You can't do anything but think about that idea and want to die to work on it. Um, You know, that's what drives passion. And if you work on something because, um, you know, as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, founder, uh, you know, may not be your idea, but if you still like the idea so much that it gets your adrenaline up, that's the first sign that you will be able to last at it. If it's like an okay idea and you're just looking for the next thing you'll burn out. You won't care. You'll look for that next thing that you're passionate about. So don't work on it unless it keeps you up at night. Um, Another thing is just to always ask for stuff. You never know until you ask. Um, Being able to end an investor meeting saying, so are you in? Versus just waiting for what are the next steps you tell me and they'll say, I don't know, you know, they'll just fizzle out. You got to be able to ask for money. You got to be able to Say to a potential, um, you know, hire. We want you. Are you in? You know, you gotta be able to say to five hundred startups, "We want to be here. Let us in now." You know, you gotta, you gotta take what you want, and um, you know, it's a lot of people feel sheepish, or shy about this stuff, but
0: or like modest, right? Yeah,
1: modest. Modesty gets you. Um, people might think oh he's so nice and so modest but you're not gonna get the shit yeah, that you need to get
0: yeah, they're not yeah. going to appreciate that
1: yeah um, um, another piece of advice that I give to uh, friends who are trying to start a business is that bootstrapping is should not be your default position um, I've bootstrapped a lot of business and a lot of businesses and you know you have to I'm sure but when you're when you're bootstrapping then everything is a challenge, you know, from getting that office space to yeah. getting a new computer. Everything yeah. like, that you're doing is like just so cards. hard. Even like business cards, you don't want to spend. Business cards, you can't get a fucking t-shirt, you can't get a cup yeah. of coffee. Everything that you do is just really difficult and you got to sacrifice so much and you're in pain and there's stresses about your bills that are piling up, there's stresses about you're getting evicted from your apartment. If you can raise money, raise it. Don't be afraid to give up a piece of your pie. You know, founders sometimes will try and hold on to, be the 100% owner, we're gonna bootstrap to billions. Don't fucking do it. There's someone else who's got your same idea, who's got funding, and who's gonna beat you there. You know, it's an all-out race, and so everything that you can do to give you a leg up, including giving away some of your, you know, your equity for money, do it. Just that'll, that'll allow you to make that bigger pie. So that slice you gave up, is inconsequential you just make it a bigger pie um, so yeah bootstrapping sucks um, and then another piece that uh, that I always tell people is that in the early days you got to celebrate a lot um, for founders you know with a team partying on every little milestone really helps people feel um, like you're building momentum when you toast to your first 10 users your first 100 users your first 200 users whatever you toast to you go out for uh, you you just got a um, your first introduction to an investor and you got a meeting and it went well you you, know, you celebrate these little things and internally you'll feel momentum and when your team internally feels momentum it's a sort of energy that projects on the outside and it's kind of like a positive your yeah, feedback it's bonding, loop. right yeah it it will spark what that fire that you need on the outside to do the stuff that investors will then feel and and users will feel, the public will feel, so doing something that's controllable, which is celebrating little things will have a big, you know, compounded effect on the actual company momentum.
0: Cool. Um, And uh, last but not least, uh, tell us about your blog. This is pretty incredible. This is something that also I was thinking that would be so awesome to be doing when I was doing my startup. But, you know, it's like not everyone also has this courage to be, uh, first of all, time and and also courage to be sharing all these things, you know, in case it fails. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah,
1: so I had this idea that, um, that I wanted to be one of those companies where people talk about radical transparency, that that's me, um, you know, that... I, I, so I started this blog about Nationwide Expansion, and it's entitled Nationwide Expansion, Fuck Me, a, uh, it's a peek under the skirts of a recently funded badass startup as we attempt to scale across America. Uh-huh. And um, in it, I write like my diary uh, about the real problems that we're having, solutions that we come up to them. It's not just all the good stuff, you know, I write about roadblocks and I write about the real shit that we're facing and stuff that doesn't look too good um, and then I write about the wins and the real emotions behind stuff and I put out monthly posts this this month I wrote about building momentum through partnerships and how to avoid shitty partnerships and stuff that will waste your time and what to look for in a real real good partnership that will actually boost your momentum um, I wrote about a founders attitude towards problems because you know as i said before i've we've gone through a bunch of shit and your attitude specifically um you know is going to affect your team and so i talk about how to remove yourself from the situation if your your head's not on straight how to think about problems in different ways and how to actually you know put in practices ways to turn a problem into an opportunity um i talk about uh hiring and i have some pretty awesome, ridiculous hiring tactics that make, uh, you know, that, that have helped us find some really great hires. For instance, I called people, uh, I was hiring for a um, general manager role and I called all the candidates at 11 p.m. their time and told them to have a video in my inbox by the time I wake up convincing me to hire them. Uh, because, you know, I told them as a GM, we need somebody who's entrepreneurial. And to me, that means going into a situation with no rubric, no rules and you know, and, and a problem, just a goal to totally wing it, to make it up and be confident enough in, in your own, you know, make shit up style and to come out with a great product. And How did uh, it work out? It worked out incredibly. We had people talking while solving Rubik's cubes, we had people making jokes and people going and signing up people for Roost with a camera filming them selling <laughs> to actual people. Like, yeah, I could do this job. Here's me doing the job. You know, um, and, you know, people just, just spontaneously, they loved it, too. You know, so, like, I give I give really great pieces of advice that one might say, oh, keep that secret, this is your secret sauce. But I figure, you know, we're already doing it, so it's not like us telling it is going to make it so we can't do it anymore. Um, so, yeah, you should check that out, too. It's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah,
0: let's invite everyone. What's the what's the link again?
1: It's, uh, it's on Medium and my, um, it's medium.com slash at John Gillen, J-O-N-G-I-L-L-O-N. And uh, yeah, you can find the whole series
0: there. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm linking the blog also um, on a post on a Silicon Valley Show, so everyone can find it there as well. And uh, thank you so much. It was an, an amazing uh, talk, and I, I hope that listeners can get a lot of new information and very useful information for well, themselves. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Sylvia. It's a great, great to have you, and I uh, appreciate you inviting me on.
0: Yes, thank you. And we also encourage everyone um, to take a look at Roost, right? Right? Yeah,
1: yeah. If you, wherever you are hearing this, if you have space to rent out, parking space, parking space, any type of storage space, um, or if you ever need space too, uh, then go to roost.com and you can find it there and make money there. And actually, I'll give you a discount code you could put in there too. What would you want your discount code to be?
0: Uh, Let it be... Um, S V show.
1: Alright, S V show. It's done. By the time you guys hear this, there'll be a fifty dollar credit towards any space or on top of any money you earn uh, when you sign up for Roost. We're right now focused in the Bay Area, but okay. uh, within a month you'll be able to use Roost anywhere.
0: Okay, awesome. Europe as well?
1: No, not not in Europe. Just there's, America. There's legal rules and stuff that we'll get yeah. there. We'll get yeah, there. Yeah, you'll
0: get there. Okay. So I bet that people will be listening to it not only like this month, but you know, next year as well. So Everyone, please check it out. And um, great. Thank you so much. It was great speaking to you. My pleasure. Thank you.